This morning my message I titled, Blessings or Curses? And I'm going to tag onto that. You get to choose. Blessings or curses, you get to choose. And you know how I typically will start preaching on something as I go through it. So let's just go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll read the Scripture. Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You that Your mercies are new every morning. Every morning, Father, we can call out to You and pray that Your Spirit would be upon us. Lord, forgive us for the sins that we may have committed yesterday. And Father, pray for Your Spirit's guidance today. Father, we do pray for Your Spirit's guidance today. Father, as we open Your Word and as we proclaim Your Word, I pray that it would speak to hearts and minds, that they would receive it and receive it joyfully. Father, that which is from You. Father, if there's anything in this Word that's not from You, Lord, let it not even be spoken, Lord. But Father God, we pray that Your Word would produce fruit. Father, we pray that it would touch hearts. And Father, we just pray that You would be exalted, that Your name would be glorified through the preaching of Your Word. And Father, Your Word says, how will they know unless we preach? Father, we just pray that some may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus through the Word spoken today for Your glory. And guide and direct Your servant in Jesus' name. Amen. Taking us back to the Old Testament again. Uh, I've joined Karen in the reading, so... As I read through the week, uh, this really just kind of spoke to me, and it's where the Lord led me. So, Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, For I am the Lord your God. I'm going to pause. This is the same God that we worship. The father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the Lord your God. He says, You shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. The two most important words that you're going to see in this entire passage is right there in those two verses. If. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in a season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing floor shall last till the time of vintage and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. I will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you, for I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and make you walk upright. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you. Wasting disease and fever shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you, you shall, re- those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. That is how much fear they would have. They would flee when there was no one even pursuing them. So I know we've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. But I believe that there's so much that we can learn. There's so much we can learn from recording the events surrounding God's relationship with the nation of Israel. I know that they were the intended audience here. But whether Jew or Gentile, we're all created in the image of God. We're all created to have a close relationship with God. He had that special relationship with Israel to reveal Himself to the rest of the world. Also to reveal the ways in which we are to walk. To have that relationship with Him. God does not have two sets of standards. He doesn't have this holy set of standards for the Jews and then another set of less holy standards for the Gentiles. He is the same God. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So we are to walk in His ways. Basically, the entire book of Leviticus is dedicated to giving instructions for proper worship of God. It has all the minute details in there of how they were to bring the sacrifices and how they were to be offered. It has instructions on there in the book of Leviticus to the, the animals that they can and cannot eat. And I do believe today that you know, he's declared the food all clean. But then they weren't. There were certain things they were not supposed to eat. There were rules in there for punishment for crimes. If someone would disfigure a man, it had laid out exactly how they were to punish that person. It had laws in there and rules concerning adultery. If adultery is committed, here's what you do with the adulterers. Sodomy is addressed in Leviticus and the punishment for that. It's all in there. Slavery, how they were to treat slaves. That's a whole other issue, right? That opened up a whole can of worms. But they were not to treat them harshly. But God also allowed that there would be a time that they could buy their freedom or the year of Jubilee where they would be set free. And each man would regain his possessions in the year of Jubilee. The whole book is dedicated to how we can live right before God. How we can have that relationship with God that He wants to have with us. How we could walk in His ways. Chapter 26 actually is a prophetic book. The Lord is revealing to the children of Israel what their future will hold. What it looks like for them. Though ahead of that list is the condition, if... There is the condition, if, if Israel would keep God's commandments, if they would walk in His statutes, 
The words shall, as in you shall reap the harvest of the land. You shall, the, har the lamb will, shall yield its fruit. You shall eat bread to your full. You shall lie down without being afraid. Shall is listed 22 times in that short passage. And then I will. God says, I will give you peace. I will give you rain. I will is listed eight times. That tells you how important that is. My friends, Jesus also taught the importance of worshiping the one true God and being faithful to Him. In Mark 12, 28-31, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard, heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We know that 1 John tells this is love, that we obey His commandments. If we truly love God with all of our hearts, we will follow His statutes and obey His commandments, walk in His ways. Again in Leviticus, the Lord is very, very thorough in His instructions concerning the shall nots. You shall not make any idols to have before you. An idol is a material image of a deity to be used as an object of worship. Pagan worship. You shall not do this, he says to the children of Israel. And then there's the carved image. You shall not have any carved images before you. What do we carve? We carve wood, right? They were not to carve out anything to put before them to worship. They had the Asherah poles the pagan nations did that they would bow down before. He says, you are not to have these. In Deuteronomy 12, verses 3 and 4, it says, And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. We are not even to build up such things in thinking we are worshiping God. You are not to worship God with such things. You know when they build an altar, they build it of stones. Unchiseled stones. Nothing fashioned by the hands of man. You are not to worship the Lord your God with such things. What are the sacred pillars? Sacred pillars, there's a couple different things that are considered sacred pillars. One is an obelisk, or a stone with religious symbols on it. Upon entering Canaan, Israel would have encountered other types of pillars, such as phallic symbols of the pagan occult. All such things were forbidden for the nation of Israel, God's people. The expression to bow down unto or toward 
a pillar forbade not only worshiping a pillar, but also even being in the presence. You couldn't say, well, I just happened to be in the same place. I wasn't really bound down to it. No. You weren't even to be in its presence. It was not allowed. You know, we would only have to drive about two and a half hours from this place to observe the tallest obelisk in the world. It's right in our nation's capital. And we call it the Washington Monument. And it is a monument set up, they say, to memorialize George Washington. But you know, obelisk have been publicly displayed in the most obvious and conspicuous places to be seen by the public. But yet few know the fuel... <clears throat> I need a drink. That mask makes your mouth so dry you can't really talk. Yeah. Those that have them on know what I'm talking about. Glad to get it off. Few people know the full meaning of an obelisk. In most dictionaries or regular encyclopedias, the subject of obelisk and its full meaning is never fully explained. However, the Encyclopedia American 1964 edition, now I know that is old, really old. <laughs> it shows how the obelisk was related to sun worship. It explains it like this. A monument representing the sun in ancient Egyptian religion. The Egyptians were sun worshippers regarding the great luminary sun as the creator of the universe, the maker of all gods above and below, and even the author of himself. The two most striking characteristic monuments which represented him on earth were the obelisk and the pyramids. Of course, we know in Egypt they're famous for their pyramids. The obelisk is the technical figure of one ray or pencil of light emanating from the sun. That is the meaning of it. The word obelisk actually means the shaft of Baal, which is another way of writing Baal, the Babylonian and Egyptian sun god that many nations have followed after. In Rome... We saw this with our own eyes when we went to Italy. Right at the Vatican courtyard. The Vatican courtyard itself is laid out as a sun wheel. And rising right out of the center of that wheel or hub is an obelisk. The symbol of the occult and sun worship right there by St. Peter's Basilica in Italy. That particular obelisk was actually brought to Rome from Egypt. They transported that thing from Egypt to Rome by Calgula in 37 A.D. One might ask, why do we have a sacred pillar right there in our nation's capital? That's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. Why is there? but I do know that that's the true meaning of what it is. Why they put it up, I do not know. Of course, they put it up, they say, for George Washington. But we are not to bow down to or worship sacred pillars, but we are to worship the one true God. 
And we're not to worship God with such things. I know that we can't spend the entire sub sermon on that subject, but do a little research. Do a little research about even how the streets are laid out in our nation's capital. Streets that lead to monuments or important places. And even the layout of the streets form an inverted pentagram, the universally known satanic symbol. And don't think that these things don't matter. Remember God said not to erect a sacred pillar. Don't have engraved stones. Don't have carved images. Yet when we look around our nation, we see them actually in many, many places. Many, many places. What did God consider a nation that had such things? That had all these objects? He considered them a heathen nation. A heathen nation. My friends, when we think of the things that all these things that are set up, think about maybe the evil influence that we might see in our nation, right? There is some evil, evil influence. This is not a political message. It's not. I'm not pointing out one party. But if we look, if we look at the history of our nation, we can see the evil influences that they've had, that the devil's had upon our leaders and upon our nation, not just our leaders. I mean, how many millions and millions and millions of babies have we killed over the years? Sixty-some million. My friends, that is not of God. Because God is a God of life, not death. I better get on to my next topic. Or I won't get done, right? That next topic is that big word, if. If Israel was faithful to God, if they were, would walk in His statutes and keep His commandments, if they did not worship false gods, they would receive His blessings. And if they did not they would experience the consequences of not being faithful to God. He said, then I will give you rain in its season. They were an agricultural people. Rain is extremely important. If we don't have rain, the crops will not grow. If the crops do not grow, we will have a famine in the land. Rain is important. If you walk in my ways, I will give you rain in its season. The land will produce the trees of the field will yield their fruit. Your threshing floor shall last till the time of vintage. I ain't going to read that whole thing. What he's saying is, if you're faithful to me, this crop will carry you through till the next crop. You're going to have to remove the old to make room for the new. You know, we think about every seventh year, the, the land was to rest. Well, what were they to do that seventh year? God blessed them so much in the sixth year that it would carry them through two years' time if they were faithful to God. He says, I will give you peace in the land. Who wants peace? Yes. Don't we long for peace? We do. You shall lie down and, that lie down and none will be afraid. Wow, we could really use that, couldn't we? Not have to be fearful of someone breaking into our homes and doing harm to ourselves or our family. He says, I will rid the, rid the land, not lid. I will rid the land of evil beasts. The sword will not go through your land. I will keep the enemy from coming in. 
and harming you. They didn't have to worry about those things because God would be with them if you are faithful. Keep my commandments. Walk in my statutes. I'll probably keep repeating that, right? You know, in the book of Judges, the Midianites and the Amalekites came and encamped near Israel. They had plans to invade the land and conquer Israel. But God called on Gideon to go out and deliver his people from the Amalekites and the Midianites. But Gideon's not sure, not sure if it was really God that was calling him. He says, God, if it's you, if I'm really to do this, I'm going to lay out this fleece. And in the morning, let the fleece be wet and let all the ground around it be dry. Gideon gets up and goes out in the morning and the fleece is wet and the ground is completely dry. He rang the water out of it. But he's still not sure. He says, God, I'm going to test you one more time. This time, let the fleece be dry and the ground around it be wet. So the next morning, the fleece was dry and the ground all around it was soaking wet with the dew. So he knew that it was God. So Gideon gathered together 32,000 men, 32,000 soldiers to go out against the Midianites and the Amalekites. But God says to Gideon, it is too many. Too many. Because the people will say that they delivered themselves. He says, tell them if any are afraid, if they have any fears at all, go on back home. Going back home. 22,000 left went home. That left 10,000. But God says, still too many. Still too many people. He says, have them go down to the water. And those that get down on all fours and put their face straight down to the water, they're going to go home. But the ones that dip the water in their hands and bring it to their mouth, he goes, those are the ones that I will deliver them by. It says in Gideon 7, or Judges rather, Gideon 7, verse 7, Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lacked, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. 300 people. And you're like, well, I wonder how many they were going out against. Well, verse 12 in chapter 7 of Judges says, now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number as a sand of the seashore in multitude. Like the locusts, there were so many of them. And by 300, 300, God delivered them, protected the nation of Israel. I want to tell you this though. That wasn't the beginning of Gideon's journey. It began by tearing down his father's altars to Baal. Yeah, go back and read the whole book, right? He first tore down his father's altars to Baal, cut down the wooden images that were beside it. He had to make the decision, I will obey God. I will walk in His ways. I will have none of those things before me. Then God was with him. A hundred will put 10,000 to flight. Gideon got to experience it. He was the man that God used for that. Blessings and curses. Which will you choose? You get to choose. Hallelujah. You get to choose. What do you want? Who wants blessings? 
Even if you're watching, raise your hand if you want blessings. Who wants curses? Right. I don't think anybody is going to say, I, don't want, I want curses, right? My friends, don't get the wrong idea here though of what the blessings of God are. God is not some huge blessing machine up there in the sky. Oh God, I want a Cadillac. God, I want more jewelry. God, I want more toys to play with. God is not that genie that you rub and get out of a bottle and is going to give you three wishes. What did He promise to bless them with? The harvest. You need food to survive. Sustenance. That's the one thing He blessed them with. Safety. I will protect you. Keep you from harm. The wild beasts will be gone. The sword won't come into your land. And I will be with you. God is so much more than the blessings, the material things that we have. He is the Alpha, the Omega. The one who was and is and who is to come. He is the source from from whom all things, including we, come from. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew translation of that verse is, In the beginning, the Blessed One created the heavens and the earth. The Blessed One. He is the Blesser. Blessings originated from Him. James 1.16 and 17 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Did you get that? There is no variation. He is holy. He is holy. The same God. I want to invoke a little bit of congregational involvement here. What is the absolute most important blessing that we, you, could possibly seek from God. The most important blessing to seek from God. Salvation. But what does that salvation bring you? Life. Life. Eternal life. Life. The answer is life. The most important, you know, it's not the abundance of the material things that we have. It is life itself. You know, if there's a millionaire out there that just contracted a terminal illness and this scientist developed a cure. But he says, here's the catch. I have the cure for your disease. This very rare disease, I have the cure. But it's going to cost you a million dollars. What's that wealthy man going to do? He's going to give him his million dollars for that cure. He can work on that again. He can work on another. He learned how to raise a million. He'll do it again, right? But life is more important. He's going to give it up. Willingly give it up. The most important thing that God wants to bless us with is life. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19-20 says, I, have, <clears throat> I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, 
blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. I said it before you, life and death, blessings and curses, therefore, choose life. God tells us that He has called heaven and earth as witness and sets those two choices before us. If we choose life, we will be blessed and we will live. We have a choice. Do we want to be blessed and live? Or do we want to be cursed and die? I don't think there's a person alive that would choose cursing and dying. And you know, no one, you might be hearing this right now over the internet or many days from now. No one can say, I don't want to choose. To not choose God is your choice. If you say, I'm not choosing, then you've made your choice. You've chosen to reject God. There is no setting on the fence. In Luke chapter 11, there were some that tried to sit on the fence. It says, and he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So, so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitude marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against the house falls. If Satan also is divided against it himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, says the Lord. And he who does not gather with me scatters. He who is not with me is against me. You know, there were those in that passage that out, just outright rejected Jesus. They outright rejected Him. They said, He is of Beelzebub. No one objected that the man was healed. There was no objected, objection to that. But they objected Jesus. said, You are working of Satan. Of Satan. You know, when Jesus sent out the twelve, and then He sent out the seventy-two, they delivered people and healed. They didn't... Reject them, but they reject Jesus. Friends, there's many today that reject Jesus. They wanted to sit on the fence, this other group. They wanted to test Him. They wanted another sign. Lord, give us another sign. Then maybe we'll believe. We just don't believe yet. 
Matthew 12, 39-40 says, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That is where one must choose. You must choose. Do you believe that Jesus Christ lived, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day? There is no riding the fence. If you think you're riding the fence, you've just made your decision that I don't believe in Jesus and that is who He is. But if you want life, if you want to choose life, you must choose Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verses 9-12. through 12. I'm not sure if I sent that one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which He has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in Himself. He who does not believe God has made Him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of His Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It doesn't get any clearer than that. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God, does not have life. Which will you choose today? Blessings, life, abundant life, eternal life, or will you choose curses? If not, if you choose not to follow Him, walk in His ways, you will experience the consequences of those choices. I encourage you, if you're watching this today and you've not received Jesus Christ, I encourage you, choose Him. Choose Him. Get off the fence and say, yes, come into my heart. Forgive me my sins. Be my Lord. Choose to be blessed and not cursed. Amen? Amen.